0: Another day and another week. I don't know how all of this may be going for each and every one of you, but for me it seems like by the time I've gotten up in the morning and I've uh, had my breakfast and gotten to whatever work and projects I have going on at home right now, the sun is already setting and it's time to sleep and do it all over again. Now for others I'm sure that it may be the complete opposite. Long hours and, and nothing to do and nowhere to really go. The obvious effect of this lockdown for all of us is the uncertainty that it brings. The logical question really is, what happens next? Now, I've been asking myself that question a lot this past week. And that's when I realized that, we're all obsessed with what's to come. Where do we go and what do we do? What's what's next? And this crisis has only taken something that is I think most of the time in the back of our minds and has brought it to the forefront. This obsession I think that sometimes we have in situations like this with the future it, it, i mean it's in our nature we're always pressed with with tomorrow while trying to take care of today we're built to think that way it's how we read our books it's it's how we watch our movies how does it all finish what's the end of the story we we're just We just need to know. This is really life interrupted. And beyond the question of how this all ends, is our response to this interruption in the now for today? Because we're in a constant state of flux. Every day we get a new report, updates with new numbers. Uh, which would show us where this dreaded virus is going to next and what's being done to fight it. And besides all of the social distancing and um, washing of hands, cleaning and disinfecting our homes and the self-quarantining is how each of us copes and where we choose to target our focus. I mean, have you gotten to the point of just turning it all off? all the notifications on your phone the news all the press briefings there's that instinct inside of us that that tells us we need to keep informed we need to know but we also just want to put it all on mute we crave the silence in the midst of all of this noise so Enter humans. Butcher Dave Jones gifts food parcels to those on benefits. He tweets, If anyone near our shop has to self-isolate over the coronavirus and are on benefits, I will put together a two-week food parcel that will be delivered to your door. Kind citizen Rebecca Mira helps an elderly couple get their food shopping. Twitter hero, Samantha Kelly, sets up a hashtag to help the vulnerable. She says, there was so much negativity and I wanted to do something useful. This is about people feeling like they're not on their own and that there are people out there who want to help. Copywriter Becky Wass starts a postcard scheme to combat loneliness. TV presenter Noel Fielding launches an online art club for kids. Footballer Gary Neville offers up his hotels to NHS staff. Pub owner Ben Boothman offers free rooms to those self-isolating. Landlord reassures tenant Amy Gledhill that she has a home. She tweets, My landlord just texted me this morning, and I'm sobbing. Landlords, take note. If you're in a position to say this to someone, please do. When we can't rely on the government, we've got to help each other. Chef Johnny Burnett delivers meals for the isolated and vulnerable. With restaurants and cafes instructed to close, chefs and business owners are turning their culinary talents to helping the isolated and vulnerable where they can. Helping the cause is Somerset-based chef Johnny Burnett, who is cooking and delivering meals for those who are self-isolating. He says, I know a lot of people are isolating, so I said to my boss, I'll take time off work, unpaid, and just start feeding as many people as possible. Anonymous Spanish doctor starts a letter-writing scheme for those in isolation. 3D printer Colin Co designs an open-sourced emergency ventilator. And there's more. More stories of goodwill, of regular people just like you and I, that are stepping out into this darkness that's all around us and just doing what is good. There's so much action and motion going on, even in the midst of life interrupted. So many without government orders, without the need of legislation, just filling the space of all of this frenzy with goodwill. Here's where each of us can fill those empty spaces in our own communities. All of a sudden, innovation is happening at home and through the magic of technology, we're still keeping everyone connected. We're still letting everyone know that they matter. We're keeping everyone engaged and we're sharing with one another. And e- even more so than we have been. We're creating A stillness and the chaos. We need one another more than ever before. We've always been able to dig into the deepest part of ourselves in the toughest of moments to be the light. It's what we do best. We love our neighbors. This week, I came across a short essay written by C.S. Lewis. It's called On Living in an Atomic Age. It was written in 1948. It was a post-World War reflection that comes at a time when there was global fears of nuclear warfare, when an atomic bomb could be set off in any major city, and the fear was as real as the fears are today with this... COVID 19 pandemic. As a result of the Manhattan Project, the first nuclear weapon was developed and used during World War II when the United States dropped two atomic bombs over Hiroshima and Nagasaki. The atomic age was born, and retaliation only seemed inevitable. The parallels in This reflection by C.S. Lewis are stunning, to say the least. All you have to do is swap out the word atomic and substitute it with COVID-19 and you'd think we were reading an article that was written just in the last few days. It reveals the raw truth of who we are and where we're going. In the end, what happens next is not a matter of if, but a matter of choice, your choice and mine. So he starts out by telling us, by telling his readers, in one way, we think a great deal too much of the atomic bomb. So again, replace that with COVID-19 in one way we think a great deal too much of this pandemic he goes on to say i'm tend to i'm tempted to reply why as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited london almost every year or as you would have lived in a viking age when raiders from scandinavia might land and cut your throat on any night or indeed as you have already living in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. He goes on to say, in other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death, before the atomic bomb was invented, and quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. We had, indeed, one very great advantage over our ancestors' anesthetics, but we have that still. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. Now that's just the first couple of paragraphs of this essay written by C.S. Lewis. So, Right off the bat, what he's confirming for everyone is, hey, death is inevitable. Now, is that something we didn't know? He's really telling you the obvious. So again, put in its place, where he talks about the atomic bomb, put in the pandemic or COVID-19. And he says, we're making this a big old deal. This novelty, and he ends. And he ends this paragraph by saying that death itself is not a chance at all, but a certainty. In other words, somewhere along the line, death is inevitable. Now, here's a uh, another quote I'd like to share with you from this essay. He says. If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let's put, I'm going to pause here. Let's put the word COVID-19. If we're all going to be destroyed by COVID-19, then let COVID-19, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, Playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts. Not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about COVID-19. They may break our bodies, a microbe can do that, but they need not dominate our minds. Wow, that's, this week was, reading that was stunning. Because, let's admit it, we've had our moments, haven't we? When this whole thing when this whole thing started, I I remember there was a day in which I was going scrolling through my Facebook page, and I found a story of um, a friend of mine who's a nurse who posted um, her friend's story, and her friend lost her husband to COVID nineteen just about a week ago. Looks like he was in his thirties. I mean, young, full of life, this guy, just starting out. He was admitted in on a a Saturday, and he was dead by the following Thursday. Life interrupted. And I'll tell you, when I read that story, it shook me to the core, because I'm just a few years older than he is. And then I started thinking about my family, my wife, my kid, all the life that we've built, and I thought my goodness gracious, that could be me, and admit it. For those of us who haven't contracted the disease, a little bit of that fear has come in. Fear of the unknown, because our chances of getting it are just as equal as anyone else's. Whether we live in um, the areas that are more prone to it at the moment or not. But the point that Lewis is trying to make is, look, this thing has the potential of destroying us, our bodies. But it doesn't have to destroy the mind while we sit here and wait for us to maybe contract it. In other words, our peace of mind doesn't need to be disturbed. That doesn't have to be interrupted while life all around us has been. Now, he begins to have this sort of internal conversation between himself and what others might reply with. So he says, now you might reply, it's not death, not even painful and premature death that we're bothered by. Of course, the chance of that is not new. What is, what is new is that the atomic bomb, or COVID-19, may finally and totally destroy civilization itself. The lights may be put out forever. Now, he goes on to say, this brings us much nearer to the real point. But let me try to make it clear exactly what I think that point is. What were your views about the ultimate future of civilization before atomic bomb, or before COVID-19 appeared on the scene? What did you think all this effort of humanity was to come to in the end? Now, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but all of you need to read this. In fact, I'm going to put up a, a link to this where you can access it. It's absolutely brilliant and needed for all of us to ponder on, to really think on, for our peace of mind, and to remind us that while this is happening, we cannot lose the essence of our humanity, who we are. And that's why I started the podcast with talking about all the acts of goodwill that we're seeing all around the globe and not just here in America. That if people have... Or or are blessed with wealth, that they're taking that wealth and they're donating it for some good cause. Some companies, uh, some some CEOs, are actually um, using their own salary, and they're canceling it out and giving it to their workers. Some of which have been furloughed, or are unemployed. That's awesome. And maybe not everyone has made that choice, and not everyone has to make that choice. But even if the fewest of us begin to make those choices, to serve one another and not lose our humanity in the midst of a crisis like this that could very well take lives of our loved ones and even threaten our own lives, let's not lose our humanity. Let's not be cowering in a corner. That's a huge challenge. Let me go back to say, to to repeat what he said. If we're all going to be destroyed by the atomic bomb or by COVID-19, let the bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts. Now, obviously, we're being told, hey stay at home, and a lot of us can't go down to the local bar or restaurant to do that, but we can sure do it over uh, FaceTime, over Zoom, right? Most of us are still connecting because of technology, and thank God for that. The point he's trying to make is not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies, a microbe can do that. I think it's so interesting that he adds that a microbe can do that. Well, this virus is so small, you can't see it without a microscope. Sure, they can destroy our bodies, but they need not dominate our minds. This is where we can begin to do the work that others have already begun to do, not lose their humanity let's not lose ours or our peace of mind now he goes on uh, to say and again his point is that look death is coming that's the reality of our lives that's part of what defines us is our mortality let me quote uh, Lewis as he goes on further down the real answer is known to almost everyone who has even a smattering of science Yet, oddly enough, it is hardly ever mentioned. And the real answer, almost beyond doubt, is that with or without atomic bombs, COVID-19, the whole story is going to end in nothing. He goes on to say, Nature does not, in the long run, favor life. Wow. If nature is all that exists, In other words, if there is no God and no life of some quite different sort somewhere outside of nature, then all stories will end in the same way in a universe from which all life is banished without possibility of return. Now, this is what we've been talking about all along. That's what this is about, the truth of our existence. The fact is, when this whole thing started, it sent all of us into a streak of panic. Just by the evidence of us going to the stores and buying up all the water and all the toilet paper, which there's been some hilarious memes on Facebook, we all need to laugh, and the reality of going to the markets and finding empty shelves, no bread, no pasta, Just about a week and a half ago, I went to the market, found no eggs, no milk. Gone. Lines were um, coming out of the market all the way down to the parking lot. What causes people to do that? Fear. Fear of the unknown. Panic. Because we have instinctively inside of us the the um the raw instinct of defending ourselves against anything that might threaten us and our families and not wanting to die right because death is something that none of us want ever to come to our to us or to our families but here's the thing lewis is right it's going to come anyway if we believe in a humanistic frame of thinking in humanism itself in naturalism then what we are saying is well look we're going to die now or later so what are we trying to save ourselves for and that's the exis- that's the existential question that we've been asking all along what's the reality of where we're going the end of all of this And again, he says it here. If there is no God and no life of some quite different sort somewhere outside of nature, then all stories will end in the same way in a a universe from which all life is banished without possibility of return. Because look at human history. There's been other pandemics in the past. And in this context that Lewis is writing this essay in response to what? In response to World War. In the span of just really 20, 30 years, there wasn't much rest between World War I and World War II. And after World War II, we, we would see other wars. And even in the 21st century, what war have we been fighting? With The war on terrorism. And now, the whole world is fighting this war, Right, As the president came out and said a couple weeks ago that this is a war against um, an unseen enemy. And it's true to a certain degree. And so, again, what is the motivation for life in the midst of a crisis like this? And later on, done a few paragraphs, Lewis continues and says, what the wars and the weather, and then he says, are we in for another of these periodic ice ages? So I think it's so curious. Back then, of course, there was a fear of there being um, a huge ice age. In other words, another um, manifestation of climate change, right? Throughout the last 50 to 60 years, that has... Uh, changed over time with new research. Today, of course, it's the warming of the planet that we've been talking about. But he he puts it into this context. What the wars and the weather and the atomic bomb, COVID-19, have really done is to remind us forcibly of the sort of world we are living in and which during the prosperous period before 1914, of course, the time he's talking about, we were beginning to forget And this reminder is, so far as it goes, a good thing. We have been waked from a pretty dream, and now we can begin to talk about realities. In essence, he's saying these these fears, these events are a good thing because they shake us up. They wake us up out of our complacency. Because after 9-11, yeah, it took us a while. And it was a different world. We live in a different world after 9-11. But things got back to a sort of what we would call normalcy. Going to work, making sure our kids get to school, getting an education, trying to form a family. Everything went back to normal. But here we are, shaken again. So what do we do in these situations? We've got to ask the question. And in this reality, if God doesn't exist, well, whether we die now or later, the end of the story is the same. But we've been searching, asking the questions. And in the truth of life, we find that because of the goodness that there is in humanity still. That because of the resiliency that humanity has had against crisis, against the threat of annihilation, that we choose life, that we want life, but in the reality and in the philosophy of naturalism, there is no such possibility. And so goodness is really just a bunch of synaptic connections in our brains that are firing off, and there's no reason or rhyme for it. But if that's the case, then how can we believe anything that science tells us if we're all just a collection of atoms that are firing off here and there? with no purpose and no reason. And Lewis asks these questions in this essay. And he offers a few options. In these situations, he says, there are, I think, three things that one might do. And these are things that we've been talking about with one another in our communities and that has been brought out by the media in certain stories. Number one, you might commit suicide. Wow. Not even an attempt to try and sugarcoat it. Just says it as it is. Nature, this is him speaking now. Nature, which has blindly, accidentally, given me for my torment this consciousness, which demands meaning and value in a universe that offers neither, has luckily also given me the means of getting rid of it. So I return the unwelcome gift. I will be fooled no longer. As such a gift with language, Lewis does. The second option he offers is, you might decide simply to have as good a time as possible. In other words, the universe is a universe of nonsense, he says. But since you're here, grab on to what you can. Right? Eat, drink, and be merry. Que sera, sera. Seize the day because you know where it's all going to, might as well enjoy it while we can. And the third option he offers is, well, you may defy the universe. You may say, let it be irrational. I'm not. Let it be merciless. I will have mercy. So we can act against what, what nature tells us, right? That there's no rhyme or meaning in the universe, that we're all going to die anyway. So um, instead of committing suicide... Instead of deciding that we're going to just have a good old time, I'm going to defy the universe, right? I'm going to fight against it. And he says, amid all this wastefulness, I will persevere. Amid all this competition, I will make sacrifices, be damned to the universe, He says, I suppose that most of us, in fact, while we remain materialists, adopt a more or less uneasy alternation between the second and the third attitude, which is committing suicide or just enjoying life. And that can be quite depressing. But the fact is, there's a lot of talk right now in the medical community that there are those who are in isolation that don't have any family. Where anxiety and depression have become huge concerns in the last 20 to 25 years, it's gone up, especially amongst a lot of college students, even high school students. And so if they have no one to talk to, they're not able to go outside, right? They're not able to to have a social life. What does that do to them? C.S. Lewis says, for most modern people, I think thoughts of this kind have to be gone Uh, Sorry, let me go back. For most modern people, I think thoughts of this kind have to be gone through before the opposite view can get a fair hearing. All naturalism leads to is, in the end, to a quite final and hopeless discord between what our minds claim to be and what they really must be if naturalism is true. They claim to be spirit, that is, to be reason, perceiving the universe Intellectual principles and universal moral laws, and possessing free will. But if naturalism is true, they must in reality be merely arrangements of atoms in skulls coming about by irrational causation. Again, if it's naturalism, we exist for nothing. There's no rhyme or rhythm or purpose for us being here. And if that's the case, then, what is it that we are fighting for? What is it that comes next? We never think a thought because it is true, only because blind nature forces us to think it. We never do an act because it is right, only because blind nature forces us to do it. It is when one has faced this preposterous conclusion that one is at last ready to listen to the voice that whispers, suppose we're not the offspring of nature. That's C.S. Lewis. If it's all Just a clump of cells, just a bunch of neurons and atoms firing off without any purpose in mind, then how can we know what is true? We can't. We can't know truth, and that can't be the way that we lead our lives. If there is no meaning, if there is nothing else, But just this end that naturalism gives us, which is nothing. The story ends with nothing after it. How can that be? How? How is it that we can live with that truth? We can't. If it's death, What else do we have to hope for? That can't be. If that's it, then what's our purpose for being here? And that's why one cannot discount God. We are evidence that God exists. And all of this that's happening in the world, again, where people may ask, well, then how come this is happening? This, is, this isn't God's fault. This is a natural result of the choice made by this race, and that is to go against God. And there's a lot there to unpack. And these are questions we're going to continue to search the answers for. But C.S. Lewis also makes this point about naturalism. He says, for one thing, it is only through trusting our own minds that we have come to know nature herself. If nature, when fully known, seems to teach us, that is, if the sciences teach us, that our own minds are chance arrangements of atoms, then there must have been some mistake. For if that were so, then the sciences themselves would be chance arrangements of atoms, and we should have no reason for believing them. And that's where naturalism loses the argument. If we're all a collection of atoms and chance, then why should we believe the scientists? They would somehow have to exist outside of the mechanism the world view the matrix that they themselves say exists that we're just a collection of atoms of neurons that fire here and there that there is really no consciousness and here C.S. Lewis continues there is only one way to avoid this deadlock we must go back to a much earlier view. We must simply accept it that we are spirits, free and rational beings at present inhabiting an irrational universe and must draw the conclusion that we are not derived from it. We are strangers here. We come from somewhere else. Nature is not the only thing that exists. There is another world and that is where we come from and that explains why we do not feel at home here. And what is that other what is that other world? When we look at the belief that we were created. This world was made by a loving creative dynamic creator who, by his own life, beget life. And we are the result. But that world was created in perfection. Where evil didn't exist. Where sin didn't exist. Where there was no hatred amongst ourselves. Where there was no war no disputes, no depravity, nor immorality. And that's the problem. When we talk about the word sin, we all of a sudden draw back. We can't accept that. The problem is, is the question we ask, if there's a God, why is there evil? By asking that question, you're already admitting that there is sin, that there is a mechanism, a law, that exists, that tells us what is wrong. Because evil is itself the act of immorality. Doing those things which we as a people cry out against. Why do we cry out for justice? Because we see evil in the world. By admitting there's evil, then you're saying there's already a law that tells us what is evil. Therefore, that same law tells us what is good. And a law can't be derived out of nothing. Again, that's a naturalistic way of looking at the world. There must be a lawgiver. That's the Creator. That's God. There is something better to come. Something that is beyond This current state of affairs, where where there is no more death, no more crying, no more pain. C.S. Lewis puts it this way, if this world is the only world, how did we come to find its laws either so dreadful or so comic? If there is no straight line elsewhere, how did we discover that nature's line is crooked? These are good questions, questions that we must come to answer ourselves. In the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of this crisis, what is the existential question? What is next? Is there something more? And the answer is yes. It's found in the man called Jesus. He himself lived for others, healed others, fed others others, gave of himself to others, gave of his life, so that we could have something to look forward to, because what's next isn't death, it's life. C.S. Lewis concludes his essay this way. we must resolutely train ourselves to feel that the survival of man on this earth, much more of our own nation or culture or class, is not worth having unless it can be had by honorable and merciful means. The sacrifice is not so great as it seems. Nothing is more likely to destroy a species or a nation than a determination to survive at all costs. Those who care for something else more than civilization are the only people by whom civilization is at all likely to be preserved. Those who want heaven most have served earth best. Those who love man less than God do most for man. Heaven. Pie in the sky? Is it, in the middle of this, is it too much to believe in? Is it because when you think of something like that, it sounds too fairy tale But you tell me, is it worth giving a chance to heaven, to the man called Jesus? And you say, but there are so many people dying around us. yes. There are. And that's the unfortunate reality of the current world we live in. But that's not the world that God created, nor is it the world that he has promised to take us to. What's next? What's next is life. Because this existence doesn't promise us anything else but the same end, and that's death. Nothing but a universe that has been so awesomely and lovingly created is there not to be ended, not to be destroyed, but to give life to. If we, in this crisis, can, in our acts of kindness and goodness, of altruism, do for others, love our neighbors, act in the same way that Jesus told us to, then cannot, cannot heaven be true? Because he we're acting on principles that exist outside of ourselves. It doesn't come from within. It comes from this law, this character that, that we have been created with that we have been imbued with. And so that's why we can be sure and know that the truth of our existence isn't to end, it's to live. It is to put on immortality. And as far out as that might seem for some, in this current existence, It is the hope for us all. So, what's next? Heaven. Life. All we have to do is choose for it. Thanks for tuning in to the Truthreel. If you want to subscribe to our podcast, you can do it where all podcasts are available. Also visit us at our website, TruthReal.Transistor.fm. Again, that's truthreel.transistor.fm. And if you're interested in donating to the cause of the refugees, please go to live 4 That's live for the onecom Join us as we continue to help our brothers and sisters, especially during this crisis under the COVID-19 pandemic.